if you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. One of the biggest challenges that we've seen over and over again is that fluids behave so differently in space. So watering your plants actually can become a big challenge. They may not have to deal with rabbits or weeds, but the astronauts aboard the International Space Station are now getting to do gardening, just like everybody else. A successful 2014 research project resulted in the first crops being grown on board the ISS in effect, creating a space garden. Dr. Joya Massa is a project scientist at NASA Kennedy Space Center, and she served as the team lead on that inaugural project, which was called Veg01 or Veggie. And as of April of 2018, Dr. Massa, or Joya as she prefers to be called, and her team have sent additional technology up to the International Space Station to enhance the crop growing abilities in microgravity. Joya, before we get started talking about all the cool stuff that's happening with growing fresh food on the International Space Station, how did you first get interested in growing crops in space? Well, my interest actually came quite a while ago. When I was 12 years old, I took an agriculture class at a local junior high school, and my agriculture teacher was one who was selected to come to Kennedy Space Center to learn about the research that was going on at the time about plants in space. And he brought back a lot of videos and, you know, lots of different information about what he learned from his week-long experience with other ag teachers here. And I just got totally hooked. I thought that was, you know, the coolest thing I'd ever heard of and decided then that that was what I wanted to do. So I built some hydroponic systems, both in, you know, in junior high and high school, worked on plant science, and then I, you know, went to college to study plant science and you know, it took me quite a long time, but I was able to be an intern at NASA in my undergraduate years and also come back as a project counselor as a graduate student. I also got to work on a space shuttle experiment as a graduate student. And then as a postdoc, I worked as part of a NASA-funded research center at Purdue University, learning a lot about, you know, plants and how we would grow them for future space exploration missions. Then I had another opportunity to come back to Kennedy Space Center as a postdoctoral researcher, where I began working on the veggie chamber that we were preparing at the time to fly to the International Space Station and learning about how to grow the plants in that veggie chamber. And then I was fortunate enough to get a job with NASA. Veggie was 2014, if I remember correctly. What was the absolute coolest part of getting to be the team lead on that? Hmm, that's a good question. I think there, there were two parts that I enjoyed the most. The first was when we actually had the approval for the crew to grow and eat the first set of, or the second set of lettuce. You know, the first set, they weren't allowed to eat because we had to bring them back and show that they were safe to eat. But then the second set, we got approval for the crew to eat them on orbit. So that was really exciting. And they did that live on NASA TV, so people around the world got to watch it as well. But then the next thing, I think, was 
when astronaut Scott Kelly grew the zinnias and actually made a flower arrangement in space on Valentine's Day. I thought that was pretty pretty darn awesome. That is really awesome. I love that. How do you know when something is safe to eat when it comes back from the International Space Station? What kind of testing do you have to do on the lettuce? So we have a microbiologist who works with our team, and she studies, you know, plant food crop safety. And there are a number of kind of recognized tests that are done for the food that goes to space. And so we were doing the same sorts of tests with the fresh produce, looking to see what the levels of microorganisms are and if there were any specific human pathogens. And, you know, we didn't identify any of the pathogens. The levels were a little higher than you might expect because, you know, there's not a real great way to wash the produce. So we developed a cleaning technique with some produce sanitizing wipes, and that helps to bring the levels of microorganisms down. And levels really aren't a great way to measure things. I mean, they're an indication of the microbial activity of the food, but, you know, we all know we eat yogurt, we eat other things that are very microbially active, and they're certainly not bad for us. So the number of microbes is not really an indication of the safety, but we were following the same procedures that the food group uses. At this point, we're actually trying to really establish what those levels should be or what we should be looking for in the fresh produce because it's not the same thing as the other types of food that get flown from the ground. And so we're looking at grocery store produce and we're looking at produce that we grow in our controlled environment chambers here at Kennedy Space Center And we're looking at the literature and seeing what levels you might expect in, you know, clean, safe-to-eat produce. And so we'll hopefully establish some good guidelines for the future for that. But this was the first couple of times that we've done that, so we're sort of, we're learning as we go. It strikes me how strange that would be if you suddenly discovered that it was safer to eat food grown in microgravity than at the local market, for example. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's definitely possible that, you know, Unless we're bringing things up there, they're not going to be around. And so, you know, when we have the food safety issues in, you know, in the fresh produce industry, a lot of these are from one source of contamination that might be, you know, outside in a field. And the food safety industry has gotten very, very good at controlling and regulating and monitoring and preventing these outbreaks. But still, you know, it's hard to prevent everything. We're obviously much more controlled in spaceflight, but we are also growing in the environment where the astronauts are living and working. And there are, as we know, you know, a lot of microorganisms that are associated with humans. And so the potential is there that those human-associated bacteria may be transferred from the crew to the plants, and, you know, they could potentially cause a problem. So those are the types of things that we want to be aware of. You know, it's not very easy to wash your vegetables in space, so we need to be thinking about that as well. Besides washing the vegetables, what are some of the challenges when you grow lettuce or wheat or whatever in microgravity? One of the biggest challenges that we've seen over and over again in different growing scenarios is that fluids behave so differently in space. And so watering your plants actually can become a big challenge. Plant roots need air and they need water. They actually respire just like we respire. The shoots respire as well, but then they also undergo photosynthesis when the lights are on, and so they're generating oxygen, you know, as a byproduct of that process. 
but the roots are consuming oxygen, and they need that oxygen to be provided. And, you know, plants here on Earth, when we have massive rainstorms, things will get flooded, and that will kill the plants. Or if we have drought, then they don't get enough water, and that will kill plants. But we tend to see that enhanced in spaceflight because air and water don't mix well in microgravity, and there's no, there's no convection, there's no buoyancy. So getting a mix of air and water in the root zone is really tricky. And so we've, you know, we've been working on that with veggie and, you know, we've seen some issues where we had problems with that, where either the plants didn't get enough water or they got too much water. So that, that's probably one of our biggest challenges. We're actually working really closely with the microgravity fluid physics community. These are the folks who work on things like fuel propulsion and how to get your fuel to your engines without gravity, or even the space coffee cup and how to have it have a coffee cup in space. And so these guys know a lot about how fluids behave and how we can guide fluids and gases to work together. So we're we're really excited to be working with them to help develop the next types of watering systems for space. Can you tell me much about the next type of watering system at this point, or is it still kind of in production? Well, there are a number of things going on. So for veggie, you know, veggie is really a, a passive growth chamber. So we have lights and we have fans, but the water is provided passively. And in our plant pillows, we've used a baked ceramic substrate, the same stuff that you see on baseball fields between the bases, and it's a porous clay that's been baked to a certain temperature, and so that helps trap air and water in the root zone, and we mix that with a slow-release fertilizer. Now, the plant pillows were designed to be bottom-watered by a reservoir, but that reservoir wasn't able to really provide enough water to meet the plant needs. So instead, we've gone to having the astronauts just inject water into the plant pillows. So it's like you watering your house plants. But, you know, that's pretty labor-intensive, so we're looking at other ways to do things. We have a new design that will work in veggie called the PONS, which is the Passive Orbital Nutrient Delivery System. And this is more of a hydroponic approach. It still uses the same baked ceramic and slow-release fertilizer, controlled-release fertilizer, but that it's in a rigid structure that's surrounded by a reservoir, and then, you know, the reservoir will allow water to wick into these, it's almost a cupcake shape where the plant roots will be growing. So we're going to be flying that next week, actually, and we'll be able to see how that works. That'll be part of a tech demo for this pond system to validate it. And that's a very passive system. Again, the astronauts will have to fill up the reservoir, but hopefully it'll be able to go much longer, you know, maybe even a couple weeks in between times where we have to fill them up, depending on the size of the plant. You and I are listening to Kennedy Space Center Project Scientist, Dr. Joya Massa. This interview was pre-recorded. Here's an update. On the 4th of April, the pond watering technology to which she just referred arrived as part of more than 5,000 pounds of science and cargo at the International Space Station aboard a SpaceX Dragon cargo rocket. And, of course, NASA continues to look ahead. After that, we're looking at other types of systems that might be more active, so maybe using things like pumps or solenoids to inject water. And we do have another growth chamber on the International Space Station called the Advanced Plant Habitat, 
And this one just was assembled last fall and just completed a first grow-out test using a dwarf wheat and Arabidopsis, which is a plant model organism. And this works really well. So it, it has porous tubes embedded in this same ceramic matrix with the fertilizer, and the porous tubes are connected to pumps and pressure regulators. And pressure is used to allow you know, water to move into that substrate of the ceramic or pull back excess water. And we have moisture sensors and other things in there to help us really know what's going on. But as you can imagine, that system uses a lot more power than, you know, a very simple passive system. But yeah, we've been, you know, at the drawing board with the fluid physics guys, and, you know, they've been giving us a lot of different suggestions. And so now I think we're going to start developing some new technologies, trying things out. We want to get more sustainable with our growing system, so we want a way to easily clean roots out and to reuse substrates and to reuse maybe hydroponic solutions so that we don't have to launch everything. We don't have to be taking clay and fertilizer and things up, but we can then, you know, reuse and recover the nutrients from, you know, materials like our inedible plant material, like our stems and leaves of tomatoes. If we can leach out those nutrients, then we can use them to fertilize the next crop. Exciting stuff. What's currently growing aboard the International Space Station? Right now in veggie, we actually have two veggie systems running on the ISS side by side. And so this way we are looking at how can we kind of grow crops on a more continual basis with these two veggie units. So we have three different crops up there. The red romaine lettuce, the same one that we grew from the very beginning, which is very popular, a green leaf lettuce called Waldman's Green Lettuce, and Mizuna, which is a mustard. And so we're growing several different sets of these at the same time, and we harvest them about three or so days apart for an extended period to see if we can get kind of a continuous fresh produce production in space. And then in a little under a week, we will be launching, as I said, the tech demo for those pond units. We're also going to be launching another set of science that's very exciting. This is another model organism plant. It's called Brachypodium, and it's a model grass. So this is one where we can really study, you know, what's going on in this organism for the first time. And this is an experiment being led out of the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Patrick Masson is the principal investigator. And so this will be growing in one of the veggie units. It's called the Advanced Plant Experiment Number 6. And this model grass is going to be growing in a new piece of hardware that our engineers designed, which is a modified box. It's called a magenta box commercially, and, and it's a clear box. And we have some foam inside the box, and the seeds will be growing along the foam. So it's a, it's a pretty neat experiment. We're really excited to see that one launch. I had not heard of Brachypodium before. Yeah. Yeah, it's a small grass, and I think it's very well understood. The the genome has been sequenced, and there are a number of mutants available to study different types of plant responses. So the investigator is going to be looking at this organism with several different mutant varieties, I believe, or accession lines, and those will be harvested by the astronauts and fixed on orbit. So we have the ability... You know, the International Space Station is a laboratory, and we have the ability to to harvest these into specially designed 
containers, which will allow you to, to what we call fix them with a material called RNA later that will help preserve the DNA and the RNA and the protein of those plants so that they can be brought back to Earth and studied so we can really see what's going on on a molecular and genetic level in space without having to bring live plants back, and they might change, you know, in the time it took to bring them back. So instead, we freeze the reaction up on the space station, bring them back, and can see really what was happening when they were growing up there. What might some of your research findings for growing vegetables and fresh crops in space mean as we look towards a future where we have to grow a lot more food for a growing population here on Earth? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. We are developing a lot of different tools and techniques for space, and some of these spin off regularly into Earth agriculture. And there's just been a long history of this. So, you know, one of the most prominent things that was NASA funded originally was research into LED lighting for plants. We're still conducting a lot of that research, but NASA really funded the original research looking at could LED lights, when they were just being developed, be used to grow plants. Some of this was the universities. The University of Wisconsin really pioneered this research. And then this research has been conducted at Kennedy Space Center for the last 20-plus 20, 20 years. And so this has been really interesting. This was a field that I was fortunate enough to get into in the early 2000s when I was doing my postdoctoral research at Purdue. And, and since then, it's just taken off. You know, it used to be there would be maybe a few, a handful of papers a year, and now there are probably thousands of papers a year researching the impact of light spectrum on plants, light levels, and light timing. You know, and the spectrum research is really interesting because we weren't able to do this before we had LEDs as well. I mean, there was a little bit of it looking at, you know, you could split your light with like a prism or you could filter out different wavelengths of light with a film but now with LEDs, you can really control the spectrum that plants are being exposed to. And this causes all sorts of really interesting changes in the plant. So we can use light to manipulate the plant and to maybe modify the growth rate of it, the nutrition of it, or even the flavor of it. And so this is very fascinating, and it's opening up a great deal of potential in the horticultural industry commercially because commercial greenhouses are now using these lights to, you know, make our vegetables healthier, perhaps, or make the plants that we might plant in our garden flower earlier or be more robust. So I think there's a lot of really interesting research coming from lighting. The fertilizer that we use, the controlled release fertilizer, is actually a spin-off in the company that developed this formulation, Florican, had an idea. They worked with NASA to actually make their idea more functional, but then we, you know, went back and began to work with them because we wanted the product that they had to test in our space flight system. So it's actually been kind of a full circle. And it's been very interesting because they actually developed their product, their controlled release fertilizer, to help mitigate the environmental impact of agriculture and all the fertilizer runoff problems that we were getting in Florida. They're a company located in Florida. 
and the environmental damage that that caused when those fertilizers ran into the you know the estuaries and the groundwater and other things. So by developing these slow release formulations, they could really only apply the fertilizer where the plant needed it, and it wasn't just washing away into the oceans or the rivers. And so this has been, you know, huge for agriculture and the environment, but it also, you know, was helped with some engineering and chemistry assistance that NASA provided as a partnership with small businesses, and now, you know, we're using that in spaceflight. I think a lot of the tools that we're developing to become more sustainable were the methods that we're looking at for watering plants in space or growing plants in space could also spin off into other Earth's agricultural benefits. In addition to your wonderful story about Valentine's Day and the zinnias, what's been one of your absolute favorite stories to share about the astronauts interacting with the crops you're growing in space? Well, when they, you know, when they got to taste the first sets of lettuce and we had that approval, you know, both Scott Kelly and Chell Lindgren made speeches during that tasting event that was broadcast on the TV. And I think that was really powerful. Scott Kelly was talking about how important it was for, you know, the long supply chain so that when we go to Mars, you know, it's, it's just going to be really, really hard to take everything with us and how we have to become more self-sustainable with our food supply. And Chell Lindgren who's a physician astronaut, actually had kind of a a different perspective. He was talking about the contribution the plants had to the ecosystem on the space station, the importance of having fresh vegetables in the diet, and also the psychological benefit that having something green and growing in that environment could have. And so I think that's really, that's something that we've thought about and we've heard from other astronauts, you know, how they just really enjoyed having plants around. We're actually going to be trying in a couple of experiments coming up to really get some hard data on the psychological impact that plants may have or the behavioral health impact that plants may have in that environment, you know, and really to collect data to see, you know, is this something that's going to be important for astronaut well-being when they're on these long missions. I think it's really interesting because, you know, when they're on the space station, the sun, sunrise and sunset, the space station's traveling around the Earth at, you know, 17,500 miles an hour. And so they have a sunrise and sunset every 90 minutes. So I think it's kind of a challenge to keep track of what day you're on sometimes. I mean, they have schedules and everything else, but... One thing that I think could be important and that I've, I've read is important is having something to watch change over time and to help mark that passage of time. And a plant, I think, could fit that role very well. And it could also give them a sense of anticipation, something to look forward to. It's going to flower. It's going to fruit. It's going to produce something you can eat. So I think all of those things could be really beneficial. But we also have to acknowledge that, you know, there might be some you know, non-beneficial things. You know, if they get attached to the plants and the plants die, that could make them feel really bad, and we obviously don't want that. So so we really want to understand the impact that plants are going to have for the crew. And, of course, I never thought there could be a, quote, negative aspect to that, too. Of course, attachment to a living thing just didn't occur to me. Right, right. As we wrap up here, and thank you for your time, if you were teaching a 12-year-old girl today to inspire her the way you got inspired, what would you tell her about innovation, creativity, and making a difference? 
I think, you know, I had a lot of wonderful mentors throughout my studies and my career, and I still have those people. And so definitely to be open-minded and to listen to the people around you and take all of the great information that they give you, to look for any opportunities, you know, to try new things until you find your passion. And, of course, to keep trying new things after that. But when you find your passion, I think it's very important to be really stubborn about it. You know, it, it took me, I say, it, it took about 28 years for me to get my first job. And I really like it. And I'm, you know, glad to have it. So I think, you know, it, it's not always fast. But if you want to do something and you work at it and you, you know, try to find opportunities to do it, I think there are things out there for you to do. And, you know, it's just, it takes takes hard work, but it also just takes some stubbornness. I love that. Joya, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. You and I have been listening to NASA Kennedy Space Center Project Scientist, Dr. Joya Massa, specialist in space life sciences and advanced life support. To follow along with the latest developments on the International Space Station, including all the cool stuff they're doing with growing plants in space, go to nasa.gov and click on the International Space Station tab. That's nasa.gov and click on International Space Station tab. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to Over Coffee through our website, twomavericks.com. That's T-W-O-M-A-V-E-R-I-X.com, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.